Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, if you would grab your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 37 today. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back there. That's our gift to you. So we are in the middle of our verse-by-verse study of Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, it's one of the most challenging chapters in Mark's gospel. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus, he gives us this lesson. Uh, he gives this lesson to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. It's, they're overlooking the temple. And last Sunday, I mentioned that I was going to break this chapter up into four sections, but I've decided to do it in three. Uh, the reason for that is because the whole chapter really is just one extended response to the disciples' question back in, in verse 4, when they, they asked Jesus, they said, when are these things going to happen? What will be the signs that all of these things are going to be accomplished? And if we, if we break apart this chapter too much, I think we're going to miss the overall context of Jesus' answer. And, you know, my concern is, is if we spend another week talking about the end of the world I'm going to need a counselor for depression. <laughs> last night, I kid you not, last night I dreamt that I was in, you guys see that movie uh, Left Behind with Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Okay, I, I dreamed that, that I was with Nicolas Cage and John Kerr was with me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So we're going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up the uh, chapter 13 today. Now, I mentioned that chapter 13 is difficult to understand, but it's not impossible to understand. So let me recap what's going on here from, from last week. Jesus, Jesus taught us about two separate events, uh, both called the tribulations. Uh, a tribulation is a time of suffering. It's a time of trouble and, and persecution. The first event was the tribulation that took place in 70 A.D., uh, the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the second event is the great tribulation. And that one is, it's going to happen soon. Jesus taught us that a particular sign would trigger both of those tribulations. And that sign is a double fulfillment because the sign is used in both. So the sign is the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be or if you want to circle in your Bible there, he, where he should not be. He, that is the Antichrist, uh, the Antichrist, a, a person who opposes Jesus Christ and his church. And we talked about how the abomination of desolation is a sacrilegious act that results in widespread destruction. So just as the tribulation is not a single event, and the Antichrist is not a single person either. We learned that Titus uh, 
how he was an antichrist in the first century. He was the Roman officer that gets most of the credit for destroying Jerusalem and the temple. Um, which brings us to our ne- uh, key point from last week, that the tribulation of the temple in 70 AD is a foreshadowing of the great tribulation to come. And as we're going to learn today, really, it's, it's a preparation for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's all a review from, from Sunday. As we move into today's text, we're going to learn about the, the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen. He's coming back. Now, every generation for the last 2,000 years, though, they, they've believed at some point they were living in the last days. Some of you uh, may think that today, and, and we think that because, well, we think to ourselves, well, how can it get any worse than what, what it already is? Just this past week's headline news, right? We look at the world stage, and we hear, well, we see the wars, and then we hear rumors about more wars. We see nature raging against itself with hurricanes. We feel the impact of our finances with inflation. And we see pictures and we read stories of how Christians are brutally murdered because they will not recant Christ. And yet, from a biblical perspective, Jesus says all of these things, they're birth pains. They're birth pains. I mean, we think that people are immoral now, but see, the biblical truth is that the final days of the world, it's going to be marked by unrestrained immorality. See, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, he he has his hand of grace on us right now. He's going to take his hand off. So the world is becoming more and more wicked because of mankind's sin, uh, because of our own wicked desires, sin, that's just a rebellion against a holy God, and sin has consequences. Sin, sin has consequences personally, and then sin has con- consequences uh, corporately as well, especially when you look at nations. The Apostle James, he says this, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And then after after the, de- the desire has been conceived, it's going to give birth to sin. And then when sin is fully grown, it gives, sin gives birth to death. So le- sin leads to death spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, I know that's a dark picture, uh, but Jesus does not leave us in the dark here. He's going to give us some information that we need in today's text so that we can be the light of the world here in the Verde Valley. He's given us the truth. And we are to share this truth with our children and our grandchildren. We are to proclaim this truth with our neighbors. We are to herald this truth with every person that God puts in our path as a a God intersection or a divine disruption. Well, what what is today's truth? Let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading. And the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 and following. Amen, Gary. Bring it. Now that was impeccable timing. Amazing grace. 
Oh, we, we got more. Should we bring the band back up here? I love it. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 and following. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with a great power and glory. And he will send out the angels, gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth, they will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So watch and be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house and he gave authority to his servants gave each one his work and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And that's why I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. The Father in heaven as we open up your word and we go through this text verse by verse, I beg that you would please teach us to show us some amazing spiritual truths that we have never known before. And for us to take these spiritual truths about you coming back to grab your church and to make things right, that we would share those things with someone this week. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take a look here at verse 24. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. So last week we learned of the earthly signs before, before both tribulations. Jesus is now given, he's giving us cosmic signs after the great tribulation. Notice here verse 24 begins with the word but. So Jesus, he's making a transition from the great tribulation to the second coming. He says, but in those days after that tribulation. So it's important to note here that the great tribulation and Jesus' second coming, these are two separate events. And I know it's a little bit confusing because there are multiple events that, that fall under the, the doctrine of, of eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. Jesus says those days, those days, he's referring to the seven years of the great tribulation. Jesus is clearly speaking of his second coming here in verse 24, because he says after that, after that tribulation. So notice the order. We've got the great tribulation. Things don't get better. Things get worse. How much worse? Look at verse 24. The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not shed its light. 
So the disciples, they know precisely what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, he is fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. Isaiah says, Indeed, the stars of the sky and its constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shine. Joel chapter 2, verse 10, the earth quakes before them. The sky shakes. The sun and the moon, they grow dark, and the, and the stars cease their shining. So the prophets, they prophesied the end of the world hundreds of years before Jesus was, was born. So let's pause here for a second. What are the details of this? We, we've, got some, we've got some big picture stuff here. Is this all we know about the Great Tribulation? Is God holding out on us? Did he leave us in the dark here to figure this stuff out? By just giving us a few verses and then kind of painting this picture with, with broad strokes? Is that what he's doing? No, dear friends. He, he, did, he did tell us what to expect. All those details that we're going to talk about, we're just going to gloss over them today. You can read about them in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. So Jesus is referring to all of the seals and all of the scrolls, all the, the trumpets and all the bold judgments in Revelation chapter 6, is 6 through 19. Now, some of you could make a good case for, for saying that Jesus is using this kind of, of apocalyptic language symbolically. Because there's no question that that's what some of the Old Testament prophets did. Um, they would warn people of impending judgment on the nation um, with the sun darkening, the stars falling, that kind of language. But keep in mind, Jesus is not a prophet. He is the son of man. And he is the son of God. So he's fulfilling all this stuff. So Jesus is not speaking figuratively here. He's speaking literally. The sun will go dark. Stars, they will fall from the sky. And in fact, as we move to verse 25, you're going to notice here that Jesus' description of the second coming, it comes from Old Testament scripture. So what Jesus is doing, he's revealing to his disciples and us uh, how valid and how true scripture is. Because he is getting ready to cross every T and he's going to dot every I. So back to verse 25. He says, the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So he says the same thing as Isaiah and Joel. And then also the psalmist. The, the psalmist tells us that God has counted all the stars in the sky and he's even given them names. And you know what, guys? It's, in the, it's the same God who will command them to spin out of control out of their orbits when he tells them to. Picture in verses 24 and 25 is of total cosmic collapse. It's unadulterated darkness. You're not going to be able to see your hand in front of your face. You're going to feel this darkness. You're going to feel the wickedness and the judgment. Darkness and chaos, it's going to overpower everything. There's going to be no tides in the ocean. The waters are going to flood the earth. There's going to be earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis. There's not going to be any light whatsoever. Your phone's not going to work. Your flashlights are not going to work. Your end of time solar panels that you bought off an infomercial, those aren't going to work either. Nothing's going to work. 
Why is that? Key point number one. The darkness is a physical picture of mankind's spiritual condition. The darkness is a physical picture of mankind's spiritual condition. This type of darkness will will cause people to panic, so much so that many people are going to lose their minds. I mean, think about it. A year ago, people were fighting in the supermarkets for toilet paper. (laughs) Toilet paper, (laughs) y'all. Toilet paper. And we're talking about stars falling out of the sky. You've heard about stories of, of people getting into fistfights because of the mask or no mask policy. And people are still living with this really high, high, super ultra high anxiety uh, because of their fear of COVID. They fear COVID more than they fear God. So what do you think is going to happen when the world watches the sun go dark? I mean, how people, how, how are they going to react when they see the stars falling from the sky? They're going to faint. They're going to have panic attacks. They're going to have heart attacks. This, this fear will physically kill people. This is how bad it will be. And it's out of this blackness, and it's out of this hopelessness, and it's out of this helplessness comes verse 26. Then... Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. It's then. It's only then. It's then they will see the holiness of God. The whole world will be in complete darkness for an unknown period of time. It's not going to be many days because the earth can't sustain that. But they will see Jesus' return. And the only light that people will see is Jesus coming from heaven. Jesus, he's going to fulfill prophecy uh, of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And suddenly, suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the world didn't even blink when Jesus arrived the first time. Not so here, not with the second coming. The the picture here is Jesus' holiness, his majesty, his triumph, and his power over sin. The whole world will see Jesus for who he truly is. That he is a holy, holy, holy God. He is thrice holy. And mankind will feel his wrath on sin. So back to verse 26, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. So let's talk about the clouds here. These are not like cottonwood rain clouds during a monsoon. We're not talking about those kind of clouds. Clouds in the Old Testament, they symbolize the presence and the glory of Almighty God. Uh, God went before Israel in a cloud, right? The Shekinah glory. So Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to be riding the clouds like a divine chariot. Look at this, Psalm 104.2. Jesus is going to wrap himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy, laying the beams of his palace on the waters above, making the clouds, his chariot, walking on the wings of the wind. So all that to say, everyone's going to see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus goes on in verse 27, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four, from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So scripture tells us that when Jesus returns, he's going to be joined by tens of thousands of holy ones. Jude verse 14. So who are these holy ones? Well, they are angels and they are glorified saints. And the angels and the glorified saints, they're going to make up this heavenly army. And then also with that heavenly army is the raptured church. So we'll get to the rapture here in just a second. So in verse 27, Jesus refers to his elect, God's chosen people. Once again, he's talking about the believers that have survived the great tribulation and they survived it only by God's grace. He's going to gather all of these people. So this verse, it, it provides really a blessed assurance here that there is no place in all of creation where the elect will not be overlooked. They're not going to be forgotten. Verses 28 and 29 Jesus goes on, he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it sprouts leaves, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near. He's at the door. So Jesus now wants to emphasize what he just said through a parable. Uh, this parable, obviously, it's, it's not complicated to understand. When we see leaves sprouting in the spring, we know that summer's close. So in the same way, when we witness the sun go black and the stars dropping out of the sky, Jesus is at the door. Verse 30, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. So who is this generation? Well, it, it can't be the 12. It can't be the generation of the Jewish people in the first century. Although they did witness the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they certainly didn't see the sun darkened. They didn't see the, the stars falling from the sky, and they did not see Jesus come back. So it's not them. This generation refers to the future generation of people that go through the, the great tribulation. In verse 31, Jesus continues. He says, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. So I don't know about you, that's a sobering statement. Everything that you've ever known is going to be destroyed, except for your Bible. <laughs> Everything you've ever known, think about it, is going to be destroyed, all this stuff, except for the Word of God. Wow. Wow. Jesus is saying that his words are unchanging. Really what Jesus is doing, he's reiterating what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, verse 6. He says, all humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. So Jesus goes on to, to reiterate his point in the gospel of, of Matthew, Matthew 5, 17. He says, look, guys, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, man, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter 
will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. See, these signs are truth. And the truth is reality. See, Jesus is reassuring the future tribulation generation. He's given them hope, which means that we are to learn this lesson today and, and to teach it to our, our children and our grandchildren and to our uh, neighbors so that they, they can see these signs as well. Verse 32, he says, Now concerning that day or the hour, nobody knows, Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. You know, verse, th verse 32, it's so simple, it's so straightforward, and yet we in the church, we got some crazy uncles who think they know when the day of the Lord is returned, when he comes. No one means no one. So if you're busy charting graphs and calculations and dates and times, Dear friend, reread this verse and, and just know that you're disobedient to the word of God. Why? why? Why does Jesus tell us not to worry about this? Because if we spend our time doing that, then we're not spiritually productive here in the Verde Valley. You're wasting your time and not doing the one thing that Jesus told his church to do. And that's to share the gospel. So back to verse 32, he says, Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. So make a note here, this is really interesting. This is the only time that Jesus uses that title, the Son. Because Jesus' favorite title for himself is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. So why does Jesus refer to himself as the Son in verse 32? Well, he's reiterating to the disciples that he is co-equal to the Father. So this verse really contains a an amazing paradox. Jesus makes a statement about his divinity and then immediately admits his ignorance. This points us back to the mystery of the Trinity. We've got God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They are they're three in one and one in three and three in one, right? Each person of the Trinity has a different and unique role inside the Godhead. And Scripture uses that term Son of God so that we understand as human beings, we can understand the relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's almost like God is speaking humanese. You know, He's got to dumb things down for us to under, understand some things. But it's in a verse like this where we see really the perfect obedience of Jesus played out to God the Father. And it's in that obedience where Jesus, he just leaves the future, the future date of his return in the Father's hands. Jesus shows us that the date and the time of his second coming, it's not his responsibility. So key point number two, Jesus admits what he doesn't know. Can you? Jesus admits what he doesn't know. Can you? As a side note, Jesus does know the date and the time after his resurrection. If you look up Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, you'll see that. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So moving on, since Jesus himself, he doesn't know the date or the time of his second coming, as the Son of Man, he gives a stern warning in verse 33. He says, watch and be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. So the idea here is wake up. 
wake up from your spiritual slumber, guys. Jesus, he now goes to reiterate this in, in another parable. He says in verse 34, it's like a man on a journey who left his house. He gave authority to his servants. He gave each one his work. And then he commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. So Jesus continues to say the same thing over and over and over again. Wake up. Wake up, guys. Be alert. So what's the point of the parable? Key point number three. If we're not ready for the hour of testing, we're not ready for the day of his return. If we're not ready for the hour of testing, we're not ready for the day of Jesus's return. So Jesus says, be ready, be alert, wake up. Verse 36, otherwise, he continues, when, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. So we have a lot to learn from the disciples about sleeping, don't we? We'll get to chapter 14. And we'll see the disciples sleeping through prayer time. That's not good. They could not keep their eyes open when Jesus needed them the most. They, they were sleeping. How tragic. And yet, that's why Jesus says in verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert, wake up, be sober. So the point of all of this is just perpetual readiness. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? So Jesus tells us to be ready four times in this passage. Are you ready? Are you ready? Seriously. Are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? Because newsflash, dear friends, you are going to die. Did you know the death rate holds steady at 100%? <laughs> Do y'all know that? You're either going to die and you're going to meet Jesus face to face or you're going to be raptured and you're going to meet Jesus. And look, I get it. Death is something that most of us don't like to ponder. But please know that there is a, a meeting on your spiritual calendar. Uh, you're not going to be late for it. And it doesn't matter if you're raptured or maybe you go through the great tribulation or, or maybe, just maybe, your date is tomorrow. The Word of God says your days are determined, Job chapter 14, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Word of God says it is appointed for people to die once, and then after this, there's judgment. So if you have called on Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have repented from your sin, the good news is that your judgment for your sin has already been paid for by Jesus. But if you have not repented, if you don't believe that Jesus walked out of his own grave, conquering sin and death, then dear friend, Jesus is not your savior. He's your judge. And he will judge you as guilty. Your, your punishment for that sin is in eternity for a very real place, in a real place called hell. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Serious stuff. 
And I pray that you would do some business, all of us, that we would do some business with God today. Now, last Sunday, after the service, several of you came up to me and you asked the same exact question. So when's the rapture? <laughs> when's the ra when do we get out of here? Well, let me say this. First and foremost, the rapture, it's not just a pop song by Blondie. No. The rapture is a separate event that is clearly in Scripture. Let me show you some of these things. John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus says this, If I go away and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. The Apostle Paul says to the, the church in Corinth, he says, Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Paul goes on to tell the Thessalonians, he says, For, for we say this to you, by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together. We're going to be raptured with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, Encourage one another with these things. So the rapture is a glorious event, and here's why. The rapture is a snatching away of the church from the world. So the big question is when. Everybody wants to know when, right? Um, I've got two answers to share with you. One's long and one's short. Let me give you the long one first. Did you happen to notice that a trumpet call would be the signal of the rapture. You guys catch that? The trumpet was used to gather Israel to meet with God during the Exodus. When Joshua led the Israelite army to, to conquer Jericho, what did they do? They blew the trumpets to announce the presence of God was there. And then they conquered Jericho. So let's back up just a few days in Mark's gospel here to put the rapture in perspective. This whole week of Jesus' life, it's the last week, it's known as Passion Week, and Jesus continues to fulfill prophecy, um, not only with the Old Testament prophets, but also with the Jewish feast. So, Monday was Lamb Selection Day for Passover. Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem with his triumphal entry into the city on Monday, um, People worship him. They acknowledge him that he is the one true living God. On Tuesday, Jesus goes to the temple. He, he cleans it out. Wednesday, very, very long day for Jesus. He taught in the temple all day long. And now he is teaching the disciples uh, on Wednesday evening, this Olivet Discourse. On Thursday, Jesus celebrates the Passover with the disciples. On Friday, he is crucified. Jesus is then buried um, He's buried three days in the ground. And when he's buried, he's buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
Three days later, he walks out of his own grave at the Feast of First Fruits. That's what we call Resurrection Sunday. Then, then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit during the Feast of Weeks. We call that Pentecost. So all of that to show you that the Feast of Trumpets is next on the Jewish calendar. So is it possible that the rapture may take place during the Feast of Trumpets one day very soon? And then maybe, just maybe, that his second coming would come on the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur. And then lastly, maybe he would establish his kingdom on earth during the Feast of the Tabernacles, because Jesus is the one true tabernacle. So let me ask you again, when's the rapture? Yeah, no. Listen for the trumpets, my friend. So here's the short answer. The rapture will come when the gospel is preached to the last person of the elect. That's, that's the short answer. And as we look at scripture in the book of Revelation, we see something very interesting as well. We see the church is still on the earth in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's in these chapters where Jesus, he's speaking directly to the churches, the seven churches. Do you find it interesting that the church is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters? And then we have no more instruction to the church until Revelation chapter 19. That's when Jesus comes at the second coming. So scripture doesn't say anything for the majority of the book to the church. So if the church were on the earth at that time, wouldn't it seem a little bit odd to you that Jesus is not providing specific instructions to the church on, on what we should do? That's a huge clue for us. Uh, that's a huge clue for our eschatology as well, because every other epistle gives specific information to the church. That's what the epistles are for. So when does the rapture happen? Well, when Jesus finishes his letter to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, and then you turn the page and you're in chapter 4, chapter 4, you're in heaven. So the rapture happens between Revelations chapter 3 and 4. Let me show you this. Jesus is writing to the church in Philadelphia. And he says, Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That's going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. He says, I'm coming soon. Dear friends, if that's not a pre-tribulational rapture verse, I don't know what is. The hour of testing, that's the seven-year time frame of the great tribulation. Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to keep you out of this testing. The Greek is real. I'm going to keep you out. I'm going to keep you safety, I'm, safely. I'm going to keep you from, from harm and danger. And that's the whole purpose of the rapture. It's safety for the church. So let me close with this. Let's remember that the rapture is an entirely separate event from Jesus' second coming. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the, the cosmic collapse that we talked about associated with the rapture. That's with the second coming. All these signs that we discussed today, the sun darkening, the stars falling, the scene of the Son of Man, that deals with the second coming. So I... I've told you before, I hate graphs and charts on the end times, but let me give you one here. Oh, 
Jean's back there taking notes. I don't know if you guys, you guys are not, but she's back there taking notes. All right, so we have the first coming of Christ. That was in the first century. We've got the church age, so that's the 2021 years that, that we've been, that we, we currently live in. The church age, that's, that's not so much in, in Scripture, that's just what it's been termed. You've got the rapture before the seven-year great tribulation, and then we ended up today with the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes back, he's going to rule and reign the, the earth for a thousand years. And we'll stop there. More things happen after that. We don't want to get into that today. But that's somewhat of the, of the timeline just for, the, for all of us who, who uh, find timelines helpful. So really the biggest takeaway from this lesson is, and I know it's a lot. I know I, I gave you a lot of scripture. I know it's heavy. Um, but I really want you to be prepared spiritually to meet Jesus face to face. Jesus says, wake up, be alert. So dear friends, confess your sins, call on the name of Jesus. And then secondly, as, as part of River Bible Church, as the corporate body of, of Christ, um, we are to prepare ministering to the Verde Valley as we look for our own God intersections and our divine disruptions here to share this message. All right? So don't just keep your head down on yourself. Get your, get your head up off, off yourself and see what God's doing and share this message. I know it, it, it sounds a little heavy, but it is, it is a joyful message because Jesus is coming back. Amen? Father in heaven, your son is coming back. And we are a grateful, grateful people. We, we talk a lot about the cross we talk a lot about the suffering and the passion of your son. And we've gone through the details of, of what's going to happen before then. But Lord, we do pray for the rapture and we do pray that he comes back soon. In the meantime, Lord God, I pray that we do our part. That we do the one thing that you've told us to do and that is to share this message. That sins can be forgiven that we can be set free from our shame, that we are no longer slaves to sin, all because of the, Christ, the cross of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. and amen.